If you could turn your Bibles to Daniel uh, chapter 12, um, that's going to be our, our text today. Um, my name is, is Joe Mueller, well, and he, he wants to have a relationship with you. And uh, today, it's my great honor to proclaim the good news of Jesus this morning, to share that message of, of God's love. Uh, we're going to read the whole, uh, the whole chapter from, from Daniel 12, but our sermon today is just going to be able to cover the, the first four verses. So would you please stand with me for the honoring of, of reading God's word? <clears throat> Daniel 12, uh, chapter, or verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who arise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the, uh, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves wide and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's have a seat and let's pray. God, you are great. And your name is worthy of praise. And so, Lord, as, as we open uh, your book and study your word, uh, I ask that it would resound in our hearts to your praise. That we would see your work, and we would love you more, and that we would be astonished by your goodness, and that we would be uh, enriched and empowered through your Holy Spirit to go and do the things that you have asked us to do, that we would be the people you have called us to be. And so, Lord, use this time, use your word, Holy Spirit, work among us, and make us more like our Lord Jesus we ask this in his name. Amen. So um, there, there are six points to the sermon. Um, 
And the first is just a recap and recapitulation. So um, this week, we are bringing our time in the book of Daniel to a close. It's ending. It's, it's over. It is the, the time of the end. And as we approach the end, I think it's important for us to circle back and remind us of some of the ways that Daniel has spoken to us about our God who keeps covenant with his people. And to do that, I need to introduce an important way that the Bible speaks through the redemptive history. It's this idea of recapitulation. If if you're a music person, recapitulation is where themes or ideas get revisited later on in a a piece. Um, It's it's this idea that certain ideas and themes and historical patterns are revisited. They're relived. They're re-explored as a story of God's love plays out on the world stage. And it happens all over scripture. And there are so many instances of it. I, I got to pick just one to share, and then we'll, we'll get into all the way, ways that Daniel does this too. So uh, the, the example I th- that I thought was really good, and if it isn't, I apologize, is that when Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting, what Jesus of God's people for 40 years in the wilderness, on the road from slavery in Egypt, to the land of promise given to the people of promise. So theologically speaking, Jesus is God's covenant son, the seed promised to Abraham, the second Adam who withstands the temptations of the wilderness and remains faithful to his God. Jesus fulfills the covenant of works that the people of God were unable to keep, and he earns for himself and all who would be found in him righteousness and life everlasting. And in order for us to see this rich theological meaning in the text, we, we need to read and understand and interpret these two texts, right? The Exodus and the wanderings in the wilderness and, and uh, Matthew. Um, we need to read them alongside each other uh, and, and interpret these revisiting, reliving, re-exploring texts together to understand what God is saying to us about himself his operation in the world, and our relationship to him. Uh, Daniel is full of these recapitulations, both in terms of its own story and its connections to the the Old Testament. We'll start with the Old Testament first. So in its own story and the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, with regard to the Old Testament, Daniel is clearly revisiting and reliving and re-exploring the story of Joseph. Right, Joseph, the wise Joseph. But look, listen to all these ways that, that Daniel relives and re-explores and reimagines these. So both are slaves in an empire opposed to God. Forced to live outside the land of promise by the sins of others. Uh, both rise, that's Genesis 37 and Daniel 1. Both rise to prominence because of the favor, the hesed of God. That's Gen, uh, Genesis 39, 21, and Daniel 1, 9. Both in, interpret two dreams of kings and rule wisely as a servant of the king. You see two dreams in Genesis 41 that, that Joseph interprets, and then you have two dreams in Daniel 2 and Daniel 4. Both are persecuted unjustly and withstand the temptation of compromise Uh, in their love for neighbor, like Joseph in Genesis 39, or in the worship of Yahweh, like Daniel in Daniel 6. Both are instrumental in the preservation of the people of God 
in Genesis 45, right? Joseph is instrumental in saving them from famine. And in Daniel 7, we have uh, the prayer of return from exile and Messiah. I think that's a mistake. I think I meant to write Daniel 9. And like Joseph, Daniel is a major biblical figure among an exiled people who serves a foreign king before a period of silence in redemptive history that is followed by a covenanting exodus event. Right? Joseph, Joseph dies, Pharaoh forgets about Joseph, and then he oppresses the people of God. The people cry out, and God saves them, right? They have the exodus. And similarly, um, right, so we literally have an exodus, which chronicles the defeat of Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt, the covenanting of God with man at Sinai, the instruction in how Israel should live in relationship with his covenant Lord, right? God lays out the law. Um, and after Daniel, right, we have the Gospels, which come chronicles the ultimate exodus event, right? The return of Christ's triumph over Satan's sin and death, his covenanting with us, his people, and instruction on how the Israel of God, the church, should live in relationship to its covenant Lord. Daniel is established as revisiting and reliving and re-exploring Joseph mostly in the first six chapters of Daniel, where we see him and his compatriots establishing their credentials, uh, their, their bona fides, right, as some people say, um, as God's believing remnant that takes root downward and bears fruit upward. Isaiah 37, 31 through 33 prophesies about this experience of Daniel and his compatriots. Uh, it says, the survivors that are left of the house of Judah... If you look in Daniel and his friends in 111 and following, this is the description of Daniel. He is, he is a survivor of Judah who is taken into exile. The survivors that are left of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem, a remnant will go, and out of Zion, Mount Zion, survivors, the zeal of the Lord of armies will perform this. Daniel's very life is a testament to God's provision and uh, for his people. So Daniel revisits and relives and re-explores life, life of Joseph, and he does this to declare to the people of God that God of the covenant is going to send Messiah. Jesus is going to come to save. And those living in a foreign land will be rescued. The God of love is coming to redeem his people. But the recapitulation present in Daniel is not just inside the, the various canonical books of the Hebrew Bible. It is also present within the very structure of Daniel itself. And listen to, to these various ways that things are relived and re-explored and, and revisited in the book of Daniel. Right? There's two dreams that Daniel interprets from two different kings in, in Daniel 2 and 10, Daniel 4. Two kings declare themselves in the place of God, commanding worship. In Daniel 3, in Daniel 6. Twice the remnant faces persecution as a result from these kings and receives the judgment of death for violating the abominable law of man in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. Twice God delivers his remnant by an angel who comes to his people in their sufferings and persecutions in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. Twice the king responds with attestations of the glory and uniqueness of Yahweh 
in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6. And twice, God judges the kings of exile in Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, once with madness and once with sudden death. And with the credentials of Daniel established in a clear pattern of human government seeking to gain earthly supremacy, to establish false worship after the image of man and destroy the believing remnant, we leave the historical narrative of Daniel 1 through 6 and enter the dreams, visions, and prayers of Daniel 7 through 12. And these repetitions continue here in in, in these uh, dreams and visions where, where Daniel revisits, relives, and re-explores the passages inside the book of Daniel. So there are two visions of four kingdoms replaced by a fifth. There's two of those. Uh, then they're replaced by an eternal kingdom. We see that in Daniel 2, which is narrative, and then in Daniel 7, which is a night vision. The visions of Daniel 8 and Daniel 10 through 12 are related visions of the kingdoms of Persia. Both are believed to have connections to the dream of, uh, of Daniel 2, right? The various kingdoms that will arise in the statue. Both Daniel 8 and 10 through 12 deal with the rise of the little horn, who himself mirrors the hubris and evil exhibited by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 and Darius in Daniel 6. And so what I haven't talked about yet is the wonderful, typical, in, in the sense that um, it points us to Jesus, right? It's a, a typical prayer of, of Daniel 9 that uh, ties into our text today. So here, Daniel is recalling so much of God's covenant with his people. Daniel, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He, so he addresses him, God, as covenant Lord, as, as master of the covenant, he then goes on to outline, like all the other prophets, the sins of Israel, the visible covenant community against their God. Daniel in 9, 5, and 6 says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So uh, Daniel summarizes very quickly what all the prophets have said, and, and this is just some of what the prophets said. They, the prophets outlined how Israel failed to love their neighbor. Jeremiah twenty two thirteen through 17. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out the windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion, so he makes a beautiful house. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Isaiah three thirteen through 15. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, 
by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord of hosts. The second thing that Israel did is they failed to love God as they ought. Jeremiah 2, 13 through, uh, 2 12 through 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have cisterns evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewned out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The nation of Israel has neglected the two great commandments of the law. They have not loved their neighbor as themselves, and they have not loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, abomination and desolation, the double sign of the Antichrist, is synonymous with the reason for and the result of Israel's exile in Babylon. Jeremiah 7.30 puts it this way, For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. This is the exact same place that the, right, that the uh, Antichrist will come and, and set up his abomination of desolation. The detestable things is the same word in, in Daniel. It's an abomination. So Israel has already committed abominations. And Jeremiah 12, 7 through 11, talks about how uh, God responds. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? And the birds of prey against her all around? Go assemble all the wild beasts. Bring them to devour. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my furnace. They have made it a desolation. Desolate it mourns. The whole land is made desolate. But no man lays it to heart. The sign of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, is the apostasy of the covenant people of God and the resulting judgment on the covenant community of God for its heresy, for its apostasy, for its forsaking of the living God and hewing for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no Daniel, Daniel calls upon God to remember his covenant. Nine, uh, Daniel 9, 15, and 16. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, right, an exodus event, right, with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as, as at that, this day, we have sinned and we have acted wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, that your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear, open your eyes and see our desolations 
and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. God answers his prayer with a promise too good to be true. The Messiah, the anointed one, will come. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, put, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be, 70, there shall be seven weeks. And this brings us at last to our text today, Daniel 12. Daniel 12, we see a revisiting, a reliving, a re-exploring of this idea of the Messiah's arrival on the scene of history. We need to have this backdrop of this uh, long introduction that I did. Um, we need to have this backdrop of Israel's sin, of God's mercy, and Messiah's arrival to make sense of these verses that fall to us today. We need to understand the pattern of recapitulation in Daniel and in apocalyptic literature in general to understand the place of these visions in the life of the church the Israel of God. And so uh, we turn now to Michael and the Messiah, which is uh, our, our second point today. Michael and the Messiah. 12.1a says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. We've met Michael before in Daniel, right? His name has been mentioned before. He's, he's from Daniel 10, 13, and 21 where he is described as a chief prince, your prince, uh, meaning that the your here is referring to Israel, not, not Daniel specifically, but the people of Israel. That angels can represent peoples is clear. right? You see that in Daniel 10, 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. We also see a similar phenomenon in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. right? Uh, John has his vision and Jesus um, is speaking to him. And, uh, in 117, he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I live forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, these that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? And then he continues, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, right? Angels and angelic creatures, right, represent the people of God. There is, there is an angel, I believe, right, over the church of Remedy Church, right? There's an angel who works on our behalf to protect us from sin and to, to keep us on the right course, to, to um, bring us closer to God. There's spiritual realities going on that we can't see that are angelic. 
Angelic creatures are in view in the descriptions of of what um, John and Daniel are writing. And Michael is the chief angel that represents Israel, the people of God. We have to remember that there is also another one who represents the people of God. So when, when Michael arises, something else happens because the people of God are not just us. The people of God uh, is Jesus, our Messiah, our King. He is the Son of God. He is Israel, Hosea 11.1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Matthew interprets this for us. Um, and, and in Matthew 2, it says now... Uh, 13, 213, now when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Michael We need to read it also that Jesus is arising, that Jesus is getting ready to go, that Jesus, because he is the beloved son, the true Israel of God, Jesus is going to come and he is going to work. Daniel 7, but especially 7, uh, 13 through 14 and 7, 21 through 28, connect uh, Michael arising with Jesus. The descriptions of, of what happens there uh, is the same as kind of what's going on uh, in, in Daniel 12. So Michael is arising. Jesus is working. The little horn is getting defeated. At that time, Michael shall arise. We live in a symbolic three and a half period right now. We're in the three and a half period, the time, times, and half a time. The 1,290 days between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming when Michael and Jesus have arisen. The church of the world, the churches of the world are embassies of the kingdom with angels over them from Revelation 1. Jesus rules and reigns over us from heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father with angels and authorities and powers subjected to him. That's 1 Peter 3.22. Jesus is making his plea through us and calling every tribe, tongue, and nation into his kingdom. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20 and Revelation 7.9. Now is the time where the church is the worldwide witness to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. Jesus and his angel Michael have arisen. The next thing we see here is that there's trouble uh, in the Messiah. And since there was a nation till that time. So in the midst of God arising and the extension of the church into the world, of, of Jesus ruling and reigning from heaven, there is also trouble that will arise against the people of God. So in addition to Jesus uh, ruling and reigning in heaven during this symbolic three and a half year period, the time, times, and half a time, the 1,290 days, between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming, there is also going to be a time of deep trouble. We've seen from Daniel how these troubles can seek to distort and shift the covenant community's worship of Yahweh into the worship of man. In Daniel 2, this took the form of idolatry with the golden image of a man, Nebuchadnezzar. That's 3, 1 through 5. And again in Daniel 6, 
This took the form of a redirection of petitions and pleas, right? Prayers that should uh, be sent to God. Uh, these petitions and pleas were exclusively toward a man, Darius. That's uh, Daniel 6, 6 through 9. These distortions and shifts in the worship of God's people came with the threat of death. Jesus said we would face times of trouble. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of, uh, chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. But we should know that to have trouble because of the name, it's an honor and a privilege. In Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those who persecute, persecute, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in Acts 5, 40 through 42, uh, and, when the, and when they had called the apostles, so the, the, um, the rulers of the Jews, uh, they called the apostles and they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they, they the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Notice always that the persecution from the world seeks to undermine and destroy true worship of the ancient of days. Sometimes these threats are from bestial empires, from, from governments, and take the form of intimidations, imprisonments, beatings, and even the murdering of the saints. The general injustice and oppression of these governments gains special focus against the people of God. But sometimes these threats arise from within the covenant community. We see this throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the life of Jesus and in the early life of the church. The prophets of old, Jesus pointed out in Matthew 23, 29 through 36, from Abel to Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, all face trouble from inside the covenant community. Their message of the one true God of loving Yahweh and loving neighbor was rejected except by the believing. Jesus was reviled by the apostles to die in Matthew 21, 18 through 22. His message of the one true God loving him and loving neighbor was rejected except by the believing remnant. And finally, in the life of the church, we see this pattern reemerge. 1 John 2, 18 and 22. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Who else is a liar in 1 John? John, 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 
4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You are of your father. Talking to the apostate right, covenant community, John 8.44, Jesus says, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Even within the church, there will be those that reject the message of the one true God, of loving Jesus and loving neighbor. For within the church of God, there will be false preachers, false pastors, false prophets, false members who deny the true worship of Jesus and do not obey God's commands to love him and our neighbor. John two, uh, 2 John 1, 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. This trouble, this seeking to undermine and destroy true worship of the Ancient of Days in the church looks different than the trouble created by world governments. In my, my reflection, so th- this may not be a complete picture and it's uh, just my kind of thinking on it. Uh, in my reflections on this, I think it seems to take place inside the church in two main ways. The first is saying things God didn't say. That's the, the, a.k.a. the Judaizers from Galatians. The other is saying things God says, just not in the way God says them. A.K.A. the devil in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So saying things God didn't say. Here are a few examples of this phenomenon from, from the scriptures. I, I, the Judaizers, right? What they did is they, they sought to add circumcision and other ceremonies and rituals of the law to the good news of Jesus. It was, it was Jesus plus. They added things that God did not say. Uh, and during the time of Jeremiah... False prophets announced the message of peace when God was coming with judgment uh, for their sins. That's Jeremiah 6, 13 through 15. Generally speaking, we can say things God did not say by adding our own traditions, our own laws, our own requirements, our own restrictions on top of what God has commanded, like the Judaizer. Or we can simply announce things as true when God has not said them at all, like false prophets. So that's saying things God didn't say. But we can also say things differently than God says them. The the classic biblical example of this is, I think, Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. There's three temptations that, that Satan offers to Christ that seek to distort God's word about the Messiah. So in Luke 4, 3, the bread of the world, right, the true manna from heaven, is tempted to make bread from the stone. And this is alluding both to the manna that that God provided to uh, Israel in the wilderness and the fact that Jesus himself 
is the true manna from heaven, that whoever eats from him shall never waters of Meribah, where he struck the stone instead of commanding water to come forth from it. That's Luke 4, 3, John 6, 48, and 50, and, and Numbers 20 for those uh, allusions in Luke 4, 3. In Luke 4, 5 through 7, the Messiah, whose kingdom will never end. We've learned that from Daniel, right? His kingdom will never end. The Messiah is given a shortcut out of suffering and straight to the authority of his messianic empire. He know, Jesus knows why he came. And Satan tempts him with a shortcut to make it easier for him to get there. That's, that's Daniel, uh, Daniel 7 and Isaiah 53. Jesus knows he's a suffering servant. Jesus, he, he sweated blood at the thought of his own suffering. At the thought of what he had to go through. And he was still the temptation to shortcut it. I don't want to suffer. Um, And uh, Jesus suffered for me. In Luke 9, uh, 4 and 9 through 11, Satan even quotes scripture at Jesus, calling on the Son of God to test God's provision and protection of his beloved Son. Um... Jesus knew what it was like to wonder if God was going to take care of him. He knew that what that was like. He was a man, a human just like you and I. Um, and Jesus withstood the temptation um, that we all face, right, to wonder if God's going to take care of you, to wonder if he's going to provide for you, to wonder if he's going to protect you through to the end. Satan twists God's word to achieve a self-serving end. A partial truth is offered in the hopes that the corruption will go unnoticed. That you'll swallow the poison because things feel just familiar enough. We can take the word of God and the truth of God and twist it into something that resembles the truth but is far from it. We can even use the words of the Bible to promote the doctrines of demons. Corruption and apostasy, heresy and rebellion can all find their source in saying things God didn't say and saying things differently than God said them. Church, we need to be on guard against these things. And when I say on guard, I think our main inclination will be to look out at others those outside my camp or outside my sphere, and claim both of these for them. Right? They say things that God didn't say or they say things that God said but not in the way that he said them. They're the deceived Christians who say things God didn't say or say them differently than God said them. We'll look out there. And if that's you, I would kindly remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? There is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. 
First take the log out of your own eye, and you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Instead, when I say on guard, I I want you to think in here, in my own life. Let us take these warnings to heart and think about the way or say them differently than God says them. In what ways have you made excuses for your own sins or the sins of others? In what ways have you twisted God's word to fit your own agenda or puff up your own pride? How do you set yourself in the place of God and use his word and his people for your own selfish ends? If all this sounds scary, if you don't feel like you can get it right, if you feel like it is too complicated and there is no way to know just how deceived you are. Because as Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. I've got good news for you. 12, uh, 1C, rescue in the Messiah. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Rescue is coming. The people of God will be delivered. Jesus and his angelic host, led by Michael, will deliver the people of God. Everyone whose name is written in the book of life. If you feel weak and frail, if you feel like you can't be wise enough, if you feel like your righteousness can never be enough, if you feel like your deeds are filthy rags, if you're overwhelmed by the weight of loving God rightly and loving your neighbor as yourself, if you're despairing of your failures and how you've added to the brokenness of this world by saying things God didn't say or saying, uh, saying saying things God said in a way that he doesn't say them, if you're filled with grief over how you've hated and despised those created in the image of God and worshiped yourself and put yourself in the place of God and and couched it in spiritual language. If any of these are true of you, then I have good news for you. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus wants to bring you to God. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree or cross, that we might die to him and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus bore all your sins when his body was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. He has canceled all your debt before God, Colossians 2.14. He has granted you a spirit of adoption, crying, Abba, Father, Romans 8.15. And he has made a home for you with and in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6 and Colossians 3.3. Do you believe this? For these promises to be yours, all you have to do is believe. Believe that all Jesus has done, he has done for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever is in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The only proper response to this is to listen to what Jesus says and respond to the call of Jesus. At this, uh, uh, respond to the call of Jesus. This is uh, Jesus' call. This is how he summarizes it in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Recognize that your life has violated God's righteous standard, both to God and to the neighbor you've wounded. Run to the God who saves, confessing your sins to God and to your neighbor. And through the work of the Spirit, put aside your participation in your evil deeds by putting on the opposite. Put on righteous behavior and restore to your neighbor what is owed to them. Repent and believe and be saved. Do you believe this? And so we're coming to the close here of resurrection, judgment, and the Messiah in 12, 2 through 3. After the rescue will come the resurrection. Verse 2 And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. At the end of the age when Christ comes, when he returns, the trumpets will sound. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. At the trumpet sound, Christ will appear, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, Michael perhaps, right? And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Church, Jesus is coming back for us. Though he rules us now in heaven And though he has sent his Holy Spirit to seal us and confirm us to his promise, and though he daily sustains us and keeps us from stumbling, and even though he renews us after his image, I want to see the face of Jesus. I want to see him split the sky like a scroll. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. This is what I've been talking about, right? The everlasting life for the the people of God. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. And some to shame an everlasting contempt, and some to shame, an everlasting contempt. 
Some will be resurrected and they will face the final judgment. Some of these will be those that rejected Christ openly in this life. But some also will be those within the church who claim the name of Christ, who preach in his name and cast out demons in his name and do mighty deeds in his name, yet practice lawlessness and forsake the caring for his people. That's Matthew 7, 22 through 24, and Matthew 25, 41 through 46. Both alike will find themselves under the judgment of God. No one who receives the just judgment of God will be innocent. Right? We'll, we'll all deserve, everyone who is in that camp will deserve it. They will all deserve it. But so do I. So do you. We all deserve it. None of us deserves the everlasting life that Jesus promises. Not one of us. But we are members of God's covenant community because someone at some point shared the good news of Jesus with us. Someone somewhere told us about how Jesus is God. That he came to this world to make a way for us to be with the Father, to restore us to our design, to make a way for us to love God and be with him forever. Someone told us the gospel, and the Spirit did the rest. And so I, I want to challenge us, church, today. Who will you tell the gospel to? Who will you invite into the family of God? Who will you plead with to believe and to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? And some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now the last bit of the text we'll touch on is, is verse 4. Worthy is the Messiah. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Seal the book. What, is this, what does this mean? Seal the book. Daniel has just received a prophecy of the end of all things, and he is told to seal the book. If Daniel was told this about the book we're currently reading, right, of Daniel, I, would, I, I think it's fair to say that Daniel just disobeyed God because we're all reading the book that was supposed to be sealed, right, and kept secret. So I don't think that's, that's what's going on here, right? Instead, what I think is going on here is the book is the judgments that are to come. Daniel 7.10 references books, right? A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Right, so I think that's the book of, of life, everyone whose name is written in that book, and then you have the, the book of, of judgment. I, I could be wrong, but I think that the book is sealed here is the book of the end from Revelation chapter 5. And that's where we're going to end. I'm just going to read Revelation chapter 5 to us, and then we're going to pray. So Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why does John weep? I would say John weeps because he knows what's at stake. He knows the return of Messiah is at stake. He knows that the judgment of the evil, of everything that has gone wrong with the world, is at stake. And he so desperately wants it all to end. He desperately wants God to be exalted. He desperately wants sin to be defeated. And he weeps that no one is able to bring it about, to unseal the scroll. One of the elders said to me, weep. No more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Michael will arise so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign. The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. Let's pray. God, it is is a Sunday, uh, about 50 days after uh, your ascension into heaven. It's Pentecost. And Pentecost is that great event where you send the promised helper, the Spirit, to us. You said it was better that it would be this way. You have sealed your church, your people, with the mark of God, with, with the tongue of fire. We are yours. We have been sealed by your Holy Spirit. We have been empowered to go and share the good news of Jesus with others. We have been given the the Spirit who recreates, who created all that is. And it lives within us to recreate us after the image of our Savior, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, work in us. Make us a people who love you as we ought and who love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to be people who who say the things that God has said in the way that God has said them. Help us to, to love you rightly and to know your will and to do it 
Help us to be in communion with you. And Jesus, bring us safely home. We await your coming. Come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. Maranatha.